Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. Are you ready? Did you know there's even more than just this podcast? Go check out my website, houseplant-homebody.com for even more and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC. And as I'm sure you already know, each podcast episode has a corresponding blog post on my website, so make sure you check that out. And do not forget to rate, review this podcast, and make sure you're commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing so more plant people just like you can find my podcast and social media. You can even help support your favorite podcast, blog, and social media by joining me on my Become a Supporter website page to get exclusive podcast episodes, access to a supporter-only Facebook group, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. And if you really just can't get enough, I send out a bi-monthly newsletter on the first of every other month, also with exclusive content and some updates on what's happened the previous couple months. All right, let's get into it. Today I got a pretty unique plant where a lot of houseplant collectors know what this is, but a lot of people don't have it. And there is a ton of speculation online of whether or not this plant is easy or not. And the care, depending on where you look online, really varies. So we're just going to nail it down all in this podcast for you so you can get it right from the get-go. So Fatsia is actually what we are talking about today. I used to pronounce it Fatesia, but I looked it up online and it's Fatsia. So it's literally pronounced just like it's spelled F-A-T-S-I-A. You can also call it Fatsia japonica is the Latin name for it. And then, or you can call it Japanese Aurelia, which is a common name for it. Or another common name, which I haven't seen when purchasing the plant when I was doing research, this came up a couple times. It is paper plant. Some places actually might call it by their cultivar, so sometimes you'll see spiderweb plant, and that's the variegated version or like a type of variegated version of it. But I've been always calling it Fatsia, so if you would rather call it Japanese Aurelia or paper plant, that is the other names for it. So these are super pretty, very, very thick, almost leathery leaves with really, really deeply lobed leaves in general. (laughs) They also, they have just a plain green variety, which is just the Fatsia japonica, but there's also variegated. There's a variegata and the spiderweb plant is also variegated. And then there is variegated with different shades of green, which is the camouflage, Annalise is another variety. So cool varieties out there, not a ton of different varieties, but they're very, very pretty. So when I say this plant is a little bit high maintenance, but can be low maintenance, What I'm telling you is some online places said it's a good beginner plant. I honestly don't think it is. I think it's a little more high maintenance. And if you're a little bit more experienced, then maybe this is your plant. Or if you're able to put a little bit more work into it, then you can. But I have had two of these. I still currently have one. I just have the plain green one right now. And then I previously had a spiderweb plant. So a little bit of the white variegation to it. My consistent issue with it is pests. That's because usually my house is pretty dry. I live in Wisconsin, so the winters are really dry. So we'll get into that. But I almost always have pest issues with these personally, but that's probably just where I'm living and how I'm taking care of it. So we're going to dive into it so you don't have the same issues I'm having. So for sun requirements, This was hilarious. When I was looking online, every single website I looked at said something different. So 
Fatsia is actually really commonly grown in the southern part of the United States, like in the Carolinas, Florida, you know, that kind of thing, because it does really well in tropical areas and it does favor cooler weather in the winter. So that's why people do like to plant outside. When it's planted outside, it has to be in like full shade. It's like the hosta of the south. It just needs to be very, very shady area, although it does get really big. But besides that, shady spot outside. Now, when you bring it inside, it needs to be in medium to bright indirect light. I know it's confusing, but to do well in your home, because your home is such a different environment than outside, it does need to have more light. And if you have variegation, providing more light will really make it thrive and it will be the fullest it possibly can. It does kind of have a mounding growth. So putting it in a bright and direct window or even a a medium window will make it very, very full and really thrive in the sun area. I currently have mine just off of a south window. So it does get bright indirect sunlight, but I have it kind of like on a lower shelf so it doesn't get direct sunlight or anything like that. And it's near my humidifier, but it's not getting directly hit by the humidifier. So that is where it currently is right now. And it is producing new foliage. It it looks great. I do have spider mite issues, but that's just me not like preventing it for the most part. So it still looks good. It's still producing new growth and I have it in that um, south window. Not in, just off the south window. Okay, so jumping into water requirements. Another reason why I think this is a little bit higher maintenance. So obviously to me, a bright indirect window is sometimes higher maintenance because not everyone has the luxury of putting a plant in that kind of light. Obviously you can supplement with a grow light, but still. So water requirements is a little bit different too. So you need to be a little bit higher on the moisture for these than letting it dry out completely. So for example, like a philodendron or a monstera, you can let them dry out and they're very forgiving and all they do is kind of droop and then they bounce right back. These you don't really want to get it to that point. It's kind of similar watering to a fern but not as much in a way. So like when you're watering a Boston fern, for example, you don't want that to dry out at all. I was to start losing leaves. In this case, your leaves will start to curl. And I'll actually post a picture on the blog post and I'll make a note saying that this is like the curling leaves, like underwatering, because I did have a couple like that. So they'll start to curl. Now, Obviously, you're running the risk of overwatering because it does need more moisture, but as long as you have a well-draining soil and you have a draining pot, you should be good. As long as you're not watering every single day and just letting those top layers of soil dry out, you should be perfect. But I'll put a picture of what it looks like to underwater it on there um, because that's usually my issue with underwatering plants. And in this case, that's what's happened a couple times for me. So these do bounce back from that. So the curled leaves will come back but that's gonna be the cause right there. Another thing related to watering is humidity, which again is the third reason why I think this plant is a little bit more high maintenance, and that's because this plant does need humidity to really thrive also. Whether that's using a humidifier, misting it, you can place it in a terrarium. I probably should try that. I have my terrariums in a south window. 
I should try that. Okay. Um, <laughs> placing it in a terrarium or setting it over a tray of pebbles that has some water in there to increase humidity are all great ways to do it. But providing the extra humidity, one is going to prevent pests like spider mites, which is the main issue that I have. And it's also going to really allow the plant to thrive again. So moral of the sun and water story, sun, medium to bright and direct light. Watering, keep it fairly consistently moist, but allow the top layer to dry out, similar to watering a fern, and provide extra humidity to really make your plant thrive. All right, moving on to fertilizer, propagation, and all the other facts. Okay, so as I say every time, just like I just said every time, um, fertilizing comes in so many different forms. I'll tell you what I use and what I do and what someone else suggested. So I use Fox Farm Grow Big Liquid Fertilizer. It's not the only thing I've ever used before. I just use that about every two weeks. The packaging says you can use it every one week. I probably use it between every one to two weeks. Whenever I'm watering, which is between the one to two weeks, depending on the plants, um, really from the end of February to October, because that's when I see the most growth produced. And then I reduce fertilizing to about once or twice in winter when the plant slows down a lot or stops pushing out new growth. So practical houseplant book suggests to apply a half-strength balanced liquid fertilizer every two weeks from spring to late summer, which is literally what I do. So I don't necessarily do the half-strength because I use a concentrate. It's already very minimal anyways. So I use the full recommended because on the bottle, it does have a recommended dose for indoor plants or house plants on it. So if you're using a just regular balanced fertilizer that you could be using on shrubs and perennials too, that's probably where that comes in at that half strength part. So lots of options for fertilizer. That's what I do. I just do it during peak season basically and you can stop in winter if you want but I still like to do it once or twice in winter just to help it through that winter process if it is trying to push out a leaf. Okay propagation is pretty simple so stem cutting is what is recommended for these and how you can propagate fascia. So the only caveat to this is before you go cutting all the different stems right below a leaf node to get it propagating, you want to make sure that the stem has hardened off a little bit. So the new growth will come in in almost a lime green and it's a little more flimsy, a little more delicate. Cutting that off is not necessarily going to give you a successful propagation. So you want to make sure you're choosing more of an older stem or older leaf node, if that makes sense. All right jumping into the other facts. This is part of the Aureliaceae family and it's native to Japan or Taiwan and in nature these can get just about 15 feet and as I said earlier commonly used in southern United States because they're really good shade shrubs that can get upwards of 15 feet but usually they're a little smaller than that. As I also said at the beginning of the podcast, these are super deeply lobed leaves and the new growth will come out in that lime green color and it will darken over time. And then based on the variety or cultivar you get, you're going to see a white variegation or some kind of lime green or different shades of green variegation out there. So for example, the variegata is a white variegation and sometimes it has like random shades of green, just like lighter green. And then the spider web 
it's called spiderweb because the variegation almost looks like it's threaded variegation and it gets a lot, what do I say, more present on the leaves the older it gets. And then, for example, camouflage literally sounds like it says. It has more of a lime green and then the dark green leaf with an in-between color kind of splotched on the leaves. It's very cool. Very similar to what an aura monstera looks like. I think it's aura. It's like A-U-R-E-A monstera variegation looks like. And then the Annalise is almost the exact same thing as the camouflage, where it has that lime green variegation to it, along with other shades of green. And there are other ones out there, but those are like the four noted ones that I had in my research, doing more research online. So as a houseplant, Fatsia rarely blooms at all, but if it does, it has these really, really cool small white flower clusters, kind of looking like a tiny allium in a way protruding from the center of the plant and after it flowers it produces black berries which hang on for a very long time unless if it's outside birds will get to them and then also if it's outside if there's a hard frost they'll die back but as a houseplant you're probably not going to see that but I did link an article from Oregon State University that had some really awesome images of what the flowers the berries and the plants really look like in nature too so check those out if you go to the other facts section on this blog post you'll see the link right there i highly suggest it because it is really cool to see it in a different way than just you know a house plant so i also said that this plant is favorable um down south but mostly in the tropical regions of the united states they do really well even though it's a broadleaf evergreen it actually benefits from the winter getting cooler dropping down into the 40s low 50s is perfect for it because it does kind of go dormant in winter not dropping everything because it is that broadleaf evergreen but it does benefit from the cool temperature dropping and several out of all of the random websites that disagreed a lot of them agreed on moving this plant into a cooler area in winter that would also benefit it you don't need to make sure this plant stays at like 70 degrees all winter it's not really necessary. Now, I wouldn't leave it outside, especially here in Wisconsin, because, you know, we get really cold here, but still. Okay, and then I have two more things. One, it is actually non-toxic to pets and humans. And if you're interested in learning more about the pet-friendly plants or the not-pet-friendly plants, episode 31 and the blog post is linked in this blog post as well. And then I also linked the ASPCA website link just about this plant so you could read a little bit of it. There's not much more than saying it's non-toxic, but I want to throw that out there. And then I have one last fun fact that is so cool. I had to share it. Did you know that there is Fatsia and English ivy were actually crossed to create tree ivy or they call it Aurelia ivy? So cool. If you look it up online, it has the leaf similar to the Fatsia, but it grows like an ivy. So it's like a little bit more of an upright growth, but it's vining. Oh, so cool. Anyways, that's all I got about Fatsia today. So quick review of everything. Sunlight, medium to bright indirect light. Watering, medium moisture. Don't let it completely dry out. Humidity, provide it. Not necessarily high humidity, but at least provide it. Fertilizer, honestly do what you want, but just a regular houseplant or balanced fertilizer every two weeks is fine and slowing it down in winter. Propagation, stem cuttings, but make sure 
the stems are hardened off a little bit, a little bit more mature. And you will not see this plant bloom, but you could have lots of pretty foliage patterns depending on the variety you get. And that's all I got today, folks. Thanks for listening to episode 62 of Houseplant Homebody, all about Fatsia. Don't forget to check out the blog post that corresponds with this episode if you go to houseplant-homebody.com and go to the blog page, you'll find it there. Also, don't forget to find me at Houseplant Homebody LLC on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast along with liking, saving, and commenting on social media. Odds are, if you like this podcast, someone else will too. I love to hear what you've learned from this episode or really anything that I'm doing and your plant experiences, so please share them with me because I love it. Also, you can help support your favorite podcast by joining me on my Become a Supporter website page to get exclusive podcast episodes access to a supporter-only Facebook group, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. Your support means the world to me, and I'm super excited to keep bringing you plant bios and information. Also, don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for the brand new episode and blog post. From one houseplant homebody to another, see you next time. Hello, me again. As always, I don't have a ton of updates here, but I am recording on Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all you papas out there. We have our wedding coming up so soon. It's crazy. It's literally about a month and a half away, maybe a little bit over that. Um, But all my houseplants are growing really well that I am using in the wedding. So I'm very happy about that. And it's just all the little finishing details, which is a lot of work, but I'm just so excited to have everyone I love in one place. So we're very excited. We booked all of our activities for our honeymoon in Hawaii already. So that's also very exciting. So that's kind of the majority of what's happening in my life at the moment. But I'm very excited to show you guys pictures from the wedding with all the houseplants included and everything that's going on. If you're in my stories on Instagram, you've probably seen some of the stuff I've been doing lately and just showing you everything. So it's super, super fun. But I will show you again like in a post and I am going to do a supporter only podcast episode about the plants, well, house plants, but what I'm seeing natively in Hawaii too. So the supporters will have to stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the majority of what's going on. But if you want to kind of hear more about it, I talk about it a lot in the stories and what's going on. If you have any questions about who I'm using, what I'm doing, let me know. <laughs> I'm in Milwaukee or the Milwaukee area. My wedding is in like Geneva. But if you have any questions, let me know. I'd be more than happy to answer them. But yeah, so that's what's happening. Besides that, I'm still working full-time, so that takes up a lot of time, obviously, and I'm just trying to hang out with friends as much as possible and family and whatnot before the wedding happens. So, a lot of moving parts this summer. I think once the wedding is done, then I move into my nonprofit golf outing is in September, which my sister is doing most of the prep for this, and then I will be helping out when I get back, but that's coming up, and then... After that, it's like the holidays. And then after that, it's going to be next summer. So who knows? Hopefully, Peter and I will be able to buy a house next summer. So that will be the next exciting thing. Otherwise, once the wedding is kind of done and over with, then we can kind of relax a little bit and I can put more focus back into Houseplant Homebody like I want to. So anyway, a lot going on. But another side comment I did want to bring up is the big newsletter went out on June 5th, about the time the last podcast episode was released. 
And I, since it is four months of content, it's really a good guide to bring you through summer into fall. And then the next newsletter will, won't come out till the beginning of October, that first weekend in October. So if you still haven't signed up for the newsletter and you want to receive that newsletter, Anyone that signs up in the month of June, I'm going to send it out again at the end of June just to anyone that missed it since I won't be sending one out for a very long time. So if you signed up after the newsletter came out in the month of June, I will be sending out a second wave of it. So if you haven't signed up, I highly recommend it. Just go to houseplant-homebody.com and then one of the pages is called newsletter and you just sign up right there and I'll add you to the list. So that's really all I have today, guys. Oh, wait, the next podcast episode is going to be all about grow lights, which is going to be a huge topic. There's going to be a lot to learn even for me in this. So we're going to learn it all together. So make sure you tune in for the next episode that comes out on July 5th. I hope you have a lovely week and a very happy Father's Day, technically on Sunday. <laughs> so I'll talk to you guys later and I'll see you on Instagram and Facebook stories. Bye.